0: Look at this, test your FQ, fatherhood quotient. Maybe you should try it on Homer. He'll fail it, Uh uh-huh, in a second. Oh, now, Henry Winkler, there's a father. Listen to what he told a close friend. I don't always keep my cool like the Fonz, but my love for my kids has given me plenty of happy days. Mm. Hmm?
1: Hello, and welcome to The Simpsons Countdown, the podcast in which we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons, tracing the creative evolution of the series and counting down to find the exact moment in which it began its downhill journey into irrelevance. I'm Erics Antoine, and this week I'm once again joined by my good friend Chris Prentice. We'll be discussing Saturdays of Thunder, which originally aired on November 14th, 1991. It was written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs, and directed by Jim Reardon. In this episode, Homer comes to realize he knows very little about Bart, and so decides to get to know him better and become a better father. He helps him to build a soapbox racer. Bart hurts Homer's feelings by deciding to use Martin's superior model. But Homer eventually realizes he must put his feelings aside and support his son, in a heartwarming ending. The episode is a parody of sports melodramas, and also a sweet father-son story. But it's more historically notable for being the lead-in to the world premiere of Michael Jackson's Black or White video. And, if I'm being honest, Chris and I probably spend more time talking about that than we do about the episode itself. But it's a good episode, and we're going to do our best to discuss its finer points. So without further ado, here we go.
0: Now, Henry Winkler, there's a father. Listen to what he told a close friend. I don't always keep my cool like the Fonz, but my love for my kids has given me plenty of happy days.
1: You know, I, I don't always keep my cool like the fawns, but my love for my children has given me plenty of happy days.
2: <laughs> I wonder, is thats is that something that the writers wrote, or is that like an actual quote from a Henry Winkler um, interview circa 1991? Maybe not circa 1991.
1: Like, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of 1991 and where Henry Winkler's career was at this point, in the scene that we just quoted they're they're sitting in a in a beauty salon reading people magazine right people peep people peep right yeah people yeah, yeah people peep people peep peep yes. magazine which which you know I, I know what they're going for but, yeah. <laughs> but i think it it, means, I, it it alludes to something else
2: to be right. perfectly honest and i i believe it's ringo Starr on the cover right am i am i right i think that's him I on the cover so, yes. of the people that they're reading and i mean now if, if if i'm taking us back a little bit to one of our our previous simpson conversations i i believe if we're looking at 1991 henry winkler were um one year before monty uh i think even more than that is it one year no yo you're right one year because uh, Ma- yeah i believe yes, yes.
1: You're absolutely right because yeah. uh, because Friends, television institution Friends debuted right. in 93, 93, right? In like in the that fall was, season of ninety-three.
2: That was ninety-four.
1: That was ninety four. So
2: I, I think if we're going by the David Schwimmer trajectory, we're going yes. uh, we're going Monty ninety-two, and then somewhere either before I know after, but then some, I think even before um, we're talking, of, he's Kevin's older sister's boyfriend on wonder years. And right. then we have friends.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I'm trying, see, here's the thing. When Monty premiered, I had, our, that's why I'm thinking Monty, we, we would have to look this up, but I think Monty was actually 93 also. See,
2: I, um, for some reason, in my head, I think that it's fall. I think it was like in the fall of '92 because I think they were trying to like capitalize on the fact that it was an election year and there was yeah, all kinds mean, of right. presidential stuff going on. So Fox thinks, "Hey, what? Who wouldn't want a pres uh, a conservative, right wing?" <laughs> A uh, spoof of Rush Limbaugh sitcom right about now. Yes, uh, exactly. That, that's Kind of my thinking.
1: Yeah, they, I mean they they were
2: they were pimping
1: it. Actually, you know what? You're gonna this is gonna blow you away. I I just looked it up. Uh, you are not, and I and I this and this checks out because um this this is what I remember. And see, Monty, I actually watched Monty when it aired. I, I was already living in the in in Bolivia when when it premiered. However. It just turned out that when it premiered, I happened to be in the U.S. I was on vacation in the U.S., in New York, and I happened to be around for its premiere. And I happened to basically, like, I I was taking advantage and, you know, this is before I had cable TV or anything here in Bolivia. So anytime I would be in the U.S., I would always, like, tape a whole bunch of TV, you know, just tape a whole bunch of TV and take it back with me to just, you know, that was how I would get, like, my american tv fix right and so and and i figured and also like to show my dad and show like friends back home and whatever else right so i figured and this was a new show and they were really like hyping it and you know they, they were saying it was going to be like the all in the family for the 90s <laughs> like that, yes. that was that was how they were oh, billing boy. it you know he, that that, oh, yeah. uh, that monty was going to be like the archie bunker of the 90s they really thought this thing was going to take off now here's the part that's going to blow you away so, Monty is an American sitcom that aired on Fox from January 11th to February 15th, 1994. Really? Yes. Huh. Uh, and, and that makes sense because that this is when I was in the U.S. I, I was, And I taped every single episode. I've got to find that VHS. It's got to be somewhere. I've got every episode of Monty on tape
2: somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean that I'm I'm two years off then. For some reason, yes. in my head, I had I had it as as being right around when there was the Clinton Bush Perot election, and uh, so I I don't know maybe I I I I just kind of associate that with sort of the height of kind of Rush Limbaugh when he was. Really starting to gain steam, and I, I just kind of envision that as when Monty started. But I guess I'm I'm a couple years off. Yeah, and you know, but here and here's something else too.
1: So this is actually, I think they really thought this thing was going to take off because you know you've got Henry Winkler, his return to television after many years of, of being absent. You've got you know you've got David Schwimmer at this point was no one. Uh, he right. had bit like you said. He'd done some TV guest spots. He'd been on The Wonder Years, yeah. Whatever, but he wasn't. Know. You know, it's also got China Cantner, who uh, is an actress who uh, believes she's Grace Slick's daughter. Oh, she is the okay. daughter of Grace Grace Slick from uh, you know from Jefferson Airplane, from Starship. Uh, it has a very very young David Crumholtz, uh, who oh, wow. would, would go right, on to yes. TV fame. And uh more, more uh relevant to our interests, it features Kate Burton. Kate Burton, uh, of Big Trouble and Little China fame, is oh,
2: yeah.
1: is Monty's wife. So you know it's it's an all-star cast.
2: I, and absolutely.
1: It lasted just over a month and then it was gone.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, too big to fail. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, But uh, why are we talking about Monty's? Because this one quote of like, we're trying to figure out why they would be like, you were trying to say if if this thing that they were reading, if it was a real quote, or if it was something that the writers came up with, it sounds, it sounds believable. It it sounds like the kind of like cheesy um, soundbite that would show up on like People magazine. you know like it just sounds so if it isn't real it's very convincing and uh you know props to the writers for that one
2: well and also at this point you know in 1991 that seems like the 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 right time that people would be asking henry winkler about parenting it just kind of fits that would be oh well you know who else would would we be asking you know he's a 70s icon but now he's a little bit older a little bit wiser of course he's going to be giving his opinions about uh about parenting to to the the reading public
1: yeah but it's just so random that like they're, they're sitting there and they're going like now henry winkler there's a father and i go and i ask myself and that's why like, it just seems random to me because yes in 1991 at that point Henry Winkler was long gone from, like, the public consciousness, I would yeah, think. This, in 90, the, you know, what was he doing?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I know... I want to say he was... I, I think he was pretty big in terms of directing sitcoms around this time. At least that's... I kind of have that in my head of seeing his name pop up as, like, you know, directed by... So I, I feel like this is kind of the era where he was uh, kind of behind the scenes doing more maybe production work and, and not, not so much in front of the camera. Um, I mean, you know, it was a few years later that he, I I feel like he really kind of had his comeback with a scream uh, Scream was kind of where it was like, oh, there's Henry Winkler again, and then yeah, that,
1: that kind of brought him back, of, right? That kind of did. that little that cameo basically. I mean, it's a it's not really a cameo; it's kind of a small yeah, role, it's, but it's, it's a few it's a, it's a few scenes, it's a but It role, was like it was
2: like it was really hyped up at the time. It was like, oh my goodness, there's Henry Winkler in this horror movie, and yeah. it seemed like I felt like it was like from Scream, and then on to The Water Boy, and he just kind of it, it all sort of started to kind of you know, and now we have uh, up to this day with uh, with Barry, which you know he's hilarious on that show. He's great on it.
1: Yeah. No, he's fine. He's finally sort of uh, uh, come back as, as sort of a, a reliable character actor. But you're right. This is back when he was directing uh, sitcoms and great films like Cop and a Half. That's and... right. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. How yeah, could it, I forget that?
2: I feel horrible yes. that I didn't I didn't pull that one out. Oh, my goodness. Yes. yes. Yeah, uh, I, I, as I understand it, uh, uh, very difficult to direct Burt on that movie, as, as I've I have read Henry Winkler say that it was uh, not the not the easiest shoot.
1: Well, it seems to me that Burt Reynolds, I think, must have been a real pain in the ass to direct in general because he himself was a director uh, yeah. as well. So I think okay. that he felt like he knew better than anybody else. You know, and, and I, it just seems like he would have, you know, God rest his soul, but it, it seems like the guy might have been a bit of a pain in the ass
2: uh, oh, when yeah. he was uh-huh. alive. Uh, uh, well, especially, you know, <laughs> that era where it's like, you know, it's one thing when you're a pain in the ass and you are the biggest star in the world, like he probably would have been in the 70s. But, you know, when you've got kind of 90s. Beaten down, on the verge of divorce from Lonnie Anderson, Bert. Then, then you know you're really having to, as as Mark Summers can attest to.
1: Yes, yes, because you know uh, obviously he got on his bad side when he made a little a little unfortunate joke at uh, yes. Bert's expense at the wrong time, sort of rubbed him the wrong way. Um, yeah, I mean, well, you know, uh, Bert was he had his his big show, Evening Shade. You know that was. uh that yeah. was the big the, well, the big deal the big sitcom of the time
2: speaking of which and it was uh, one of our one of our our uh, our mutual friends actually brought this to my attention with the the passing of Hal Holbrook all of the the male cast members of Evening Shade have left us
1: oh really that's uh yeah. that's a real shame that's a real shame they, I know. you know it's it's a it's a, it's quite something evening shade was a a show th- a sitcom that seemed almost exclusively uh designated for middle-aged men to enjoy. I I think that that was that uh, my grandfather, you know, was a huge fan of Evening Shade. He didn't miss an episode. He he watched yeah. that it was his favorite show at the time. That it was yeah. So well, I you know in
2: oh. a in a way, I mean, even, you know, it did have Mary Lou Henner in the cast, but overall it was almost kind of like the male equivalent of Golden Girls. I mean, yes. I think you could sort of make that argument that that that's that's what it was leaning towards.
1: Yes. Um, we have not even started talking about The Simpsons. We're already we're already on yeah. tangents. But it's all, well, it's all we,
2: good. We we spoke about the the quotes. I mean, that's what <laughs> yes. brought all this. Yeah.
1: That's what, that's what that's what brought it all. Um, yeah. But yeah, let's so let's talk for a second about uh, Saturdays of Thunder uh, about yeah. this episode, which is about soapbox racing, and it is. Um, it It's an episode that is essentially a sweet story about Homer uh, trying to be, a, a, you know, trying to to sort of enrich his relationship, realizing that he's very distant, that he doesn't really know his son. There is a thematic connection because last week's episode, the previous week's episode, Lisa's pony found him uh, sort of uh, coming to terms with being a neglectful parent towards Lisa and trying to see how he could maybe touch touch base with her and we will explore this theme later on in the season you know they always always try to touch on homer's inefficiency or inefficacy as a parent and so last week it was with lisa and now they i don't know if this was deliberate but it's kind of weird that now they follow it up with here's an episode where he tries to sort of uh, get closer to bart through something that interests
2: him and you would think that they would sort of space that out a little bit, but uh, yeah, it is kind of odd how it worked out that way that they have very strikingly similar episodes, just uh, dealing with different children. Um, but it's, it's a really good episode. This was, this is outstanding. Um, you know, just from the, from the very opening uh, with the, the great uh, Phil Hartman as Troy McClure. I mean, I think the, the episode starts with a bang and uh, it's, it, it's, 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 a good one all the way through.
1: Yeah. They're watching the, the, um, you know, the stalwart Simpsons infomercial program. It always shows up. It's, I can't believe they invented it. I think is the name of the show that he's watching. Right. Right. And, uh, and this time, and you know, Dr. Nick Riviera always shows up with something. And so in this case, it's a, what is this, this invention in this episode? Something about something to clean oh. stains.
2: Yeah. it's a, it's a cleaning product. Um which and you know the way that they they basically uh uh show you how well it um it does its job is they they clean the tombstone of Edgar Allan Poe.
1: Yes, one of our best writers.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, Quote <laughs> right. the Raven, what a shine.
1: Yes, uh one of our best writers. And then almost immediately we go into the actual plot of the episode, which is spurred by Homer. Uh, failing that quiz, but before he takes the quiz, before he takes the like parenting quiz that yes. is included in that was in Peep Hole magazine, he takes uh, Lisa on a trip to the video store. Lisa and Maggie they leave Bart alone. That 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 was a shocking thing to me. Like Bart, we understand that Bart is ten years old, and I don't recall. I do not think that my parents and I grew up in a, in a loft in New York, but I don't believe that I was ever left alone at home when I was 10. Were you?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, like alone, said... alone. Like,
1: like, 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 lo- well, yeah, I, I guess so. Right. I guess so. Like, no.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe yeah, not for yeah. like, you know, hours at a time, but I, I, by that, by that point, I know I had been alone, you know, somewhat, uh, I, I would yeah. have been left alone yeah, by 10, you know, maybe not, you know, not for like four or five hours, but you know, an couple, hour, a couple of hours, things. maybe an hour. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to get home. Like I remember like in fourth grade, I used to get home and, and there weren't, wasn't anybody home sometimes. And uh, so, yeah, so I, that, I, that is true. That yeah. That is, that is true. I, yeah. I mean, I would.
1: I'm trying. I guess so. Yeah, I would. I would be left unattended, uh, but not yeah, but not for hours and hours at a time. Just for right. you know, maybe an hour at, at most. Maybe like, it, w- it really wouldn't be for a long period of time. And I really don't think. Certainly not. It wouldn't have been in my case, and I, I don't think in your case that they would have left you alone if they saw that you were in the garage welding. Uh, (laughs) right
2: yeah um, i think that is now that's the 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 big difference is being a left alone with uh, you know welding torches and uh, all manner of instruments that you can cause a lot of damage with um so yeah that that is where homer drops the ball yes it's a he just he you know i
1: mean it's 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 a deliberate joke, just showing that he's a very careless. You know, the the implication being that Marge would not have done that. Obviously, she would not have left Bart alone there, but uh, but Homer does, and they go to the video store to where Homer rents, you know, football's greatest injuries. That's that's what he chooses to to rent a a compilation video cassette, which something like it, I'm sure exists. I don't know if exactly like that with that title, but I'm pretty sure that there must be something of that nature. In yeah I
2: mean well that yeah there you know there used to be more of those types of you know video well obviously there's really no videos now but yeah um you know it that used to and up until maybe about 10 years ago that was something that during a football season like ESPN they would do like oh the the top five hits of the week and you know the top five cracks of the week and They would really get into showing, you know, what was the hardest hits. But I think what's happened now is because of all of the concussion issues and all of the you know what we what we now know. I guess for some reason people didn't realize football was a rough sport back in those days. But uh, now, because that's be on everyone's mind, is you don't see features like that anymore. And you know, if you if you are so inclined to to watch moments like that, then you pretty much have to go to YouTube. But yes, back in back in the day, there would have been uh, videos um that would have had these kind of moments that uh that that homer was uh was trying to rent you just brought up youtube and that's true you know we've got to
1: go back in time for a minute Here, early 90s late 80s early 90s these kinds of compilation tapes you know like existed they had you know, this is kind of a joke Football's greatest injuries but there were things like that you know like yeah these these like uh, videos that you could rent, or that they would offer them on TV. Actually, that you could buy them, oh, yeah. and they would just be compilation videos of anything. You know, like oh, uh, whether it's football or boxing or even uh, this, just any kind of compilation things where it's like the greatest this or the greatest that or you know the, the ten best whatever. You know, the thing and as things that now you can go on YouTube and find these like twenty-five minute, you know, videos on youtube made either by youtubers or by whatever and these are things that used to exist in a video store like you would go to a video store and rent it or buy it and now you can find it for free on youtube and i think that's that's kind of funny it's 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 funny to me to like think that now like
2: oh oh yeah yeah it's uh i mean it it is pretty wild that um you know there there were all these types of and not just sports i mean gosh i think the the maybe the most infamous sort of uh, example of these compilation tapes was the uh, Jerry Springer Too Hot for TV tape. That thing was everywhere in like the (laughs) late 90s. My God, everybody had to see that at least once. And these are just outtakes.
1: They're just outtakes. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. It was just the stuff that you couldn't see at 11 a.m. on your local UHF station that was playing Springer.
1: And, and Yeah. And so now but now that sort of thing, you know, like outtakes, you know, that, that's now on YouTube. You can find it on yep. YouTube. You can go on YouTube to find those outtakes. You can find the Siskel and Ebert outtakes where they're using like four letter words and like telling each other to go fuck themselves like like, oh yeah like like that's that's hilarious and i'm sure stuff like that would show up on vhs tapes and like in conventions and whatnot and that's what it's funny to me and there is something and it brings to mind it's a it's kind of on a separate topic but they also had those uh they used to sell these these like compilations of songs you know like Hits sure. of the, like romance hits of the 70s or like w- whatever, you know, uh, right. like c- collections on CD or cassette or whatever. And they would offer these on late night television for like 9- 1995 or whatever it was. Like you get this like CD with all these classic songs. And I, I would think to myself, well, again, now with YouTube or with, and Spotify and all these other things, that's gone the way of the dodo as well. But I recently... And I think this might have even been last time I was in the US. I happened to catch on like late night cable an ad for one of these compilations. And I'm going, like, they're still selling them? Who who would buy this today? Yeah. In
2: 2021. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, there's that's there's whole infomercials that basically sell these compilations. And it's it's for older folks that just aren't into Listening to things on YouTube or Spotify and still want to just play their CDs. and that's who they're going with. And uh, it's it's the same as um I mean, I'll see infomercials now where people for where people can buy like DVD compilations of Saturday Night Live seasons.
1: So that still exists, like those best of compilations. like uh, the for me, the classic one's always been like the best of Eddie Murphy. You know, it's like, that's a classic VHS tape that I owned and I wore out, but like, they still yeah. have those like best of so-and-so on Saturday night live kind of thing. That's still, it, it's exists. not so
2: much, it's not so much the, like those ones, those best of like the individual performers. It's basically like the whole season set of a Saturday night live. So it'll be like here, you know, the first season, the second season, um, that that's what I've seen the infomercials for, uh,
0: the the
2: whole, yeah. So the whole, the whole thing that they did that really kind of took off in the, the late nineties where they did all the best of VHS tapes. I mean, God, there were so many of those. It's, It's not, it's not so much that it's, it's basically entire, collections from from a whole season well you know what i you know i support that i'm
1: i'm i'm a physical media forever kind of guy you know i I think that so i'm totally like that's because right now sure you can if you subscribe to such and such streaming service you probably have access to all the classic saturday night live seasons but you know one day when when everything's up in a cloud you know in a virtual cloud if somebody decides to take that off the cloud and, right. you, don't, you know, if something if it's something you really want, buy it. That That's my that's well, why I'm... right.
2: Well, plus, you know, when it comes to something like Saturday Night Live is basically every month the, the goalpost changes as to what's acceptable and what isn't. And, you know, things. Yes. Things that maybe were not so bad 30, 35 years ago are verboten now and will yeah. kind of magically be gone from exactly. these uh, these sites and it's the same with different tv shows so so yeah if you if you really yeah. like something I, i'm the same way i give me the the the, the hard copy and I'll, I'll uh i'll i'll do with it as i please
1: yeah, because, I, I, like, again, a private company, you know, I, I want to make this very clear. A private company has the right to do whatever the hell sure. they want. If they sure. decide that they no longer want to air a certain episode because it offends their sensibilities for whatever reason, and they say, you know what, we're going to pull that. We're going to pull it. We're not going to show it anymore. That's their right to do that. And if I'm subscribing to that service and I've lost that episode, that's, you know, I'm at their I'm at their mercy, essentially. So if it's something I... that I want... You got to buy it. You got to buy the physical media. You got to have it.
2: Yeah. And we, I mean, we also saw it with the Simpsons with the, uh, the Michael Jackson episode. That's, you know, yeah, the Michael Jackson episode that was full. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you, basically, <laughs> if you want to see that you, you better have the DVD set, you <laughs> yes. know, physical media, that's the, that's the way to go. Um,
1: so anyway, yes. So Homer is getting, uh, he goes to rent football's greatest injuries, something that you could probably today find on YouTube, And on the way, like while at the video store, they happen to see a little bit of McBain. Uh, They they check out a little bit of McBain. You know the uh, something. I guess I guess McBain, which you know, in the in the previous season, it was in theaters, and now it's on video. So like there's a certain continuity. You know, now it's on video. Now it's like the big hit summer blockbuster has now hit video, and here you know. They have it running on the screen. You know that's 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 uh, that that really took me back to the days when you'd go to the video store and they'd have the big screen set up there, and some movie would be running. Usually, whatever some current hit movie was, it would be running on the screen there. You, you know, to entice you to rent it.
2: Uh, that's right, right, right. But it, you know, it, it seemed to me though, it was very rare that I would be in a video store that was playing like any kind of an R-rated movie like that. That I did not remember seeing very much um, in a video store. It was always more safer, softer type titles. I I wasn't, you know, I I don't remember really going into video stores and seeing *Lethal Weapon* or *Die Hard* or *Commando* being played on the uh, on the TV. But uh, I'm sure it happened in some places.
1: Yeah, well, I think it would depend on the store because, like, obviously, if you go to like if you went to like Blockbuster or someplace like that. Then they have certain policies, so no, like that that wouldn't be playing. They'd usually be playing either some real, like some e, one of those EPK things that just had like a rotating ads and like rotating yeah. like. That's what they usually had playing. They they didn't actually have like full on movies playing. But if right. you went to one of the more like one of the smaller like more mom and pop type video store places, where you know whatever there yeah. you like they just put whatever they wanted. They- <laughs> and this is this is relevant to the '90s. I do remember. And this, this happened in 94, you know, this is in the summer of 94. I'm in the U.S. because of the World Cup. And I arrived to the U.S. in like early June or, or yeah, it was either late May. Yeah, it was late May. It was late May. So I think I arrived to the U.S. because I am on vacation with the family. And I think I was in the U.S. for maybe a day or two when the O.J. thing happened. Ah. Right. So, yeah. you know. Uh and that happened that was in the news, you know, like that when it happened when the actual murders happened, not not the trial, the murders. Okay. Right. Okay. And like so this would have been like I think this is like May of ninety four.
2: Yeah, that, the murders were May of ninety four. Yeah. So yeah,
1: and so I had just arrived like I, I had just arrived to the US and I think it was a day or two tops after I arrived that it was all over the news. Holy shit. And so about a week after this, and it, already the Bronco thing had happened, like all that had happened. I'm in Queens. I go to the video store to rent something. I walk in there and what are what are the guys, you know, it was, it was. Uh, what are they watching? They're watching the Naked Gun. They're watching, uh, I think it was the Naked <laughs> Gun. And, they're, they're, and, and, you know, I just walk in there. Hey guys, how you doing? Oh, and then, and they just turn to me. And they go like, we're remembering Simpson. And so like, or we're memorializing Simpson or whatever it was. And so it was like, it's just... Blockbuster wouldn't have done that. Is my point. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think what we can what we can assume is that this video store that Homer is going to, it's not a chain thing. It's not like a Blockbuster. It's probably you know it's a small town video store where they can put whatever they want, and they just they decide to put on the big one because they want everybody to rent it. It's the big movie. It's out on video. Rent it. Yeah. You know?
2: Well, I, I believe I, th- I believe the name of the of the store was VHS Village. Uh, yes. formerly the beta barn.
1: Ah, there we go. Yeah. It, it yeah. makes sense. It's, this seems like a mom and pop place,
2: right? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. It's for a sure. small business and he, and he
1: happens to catch a bit of McBain. And in my opinion, this is, I mean, at least for me, this has always been the best McBain scene. Like, yeah. Like, uh, I would agree. Uh, of, of the ones that they, you know, cause there's a bunch of them, uh, that we see throughout, you know, throughout time. Right. And, uh, but this is the best one. You know, uh, I've always liked this one. I'm not sure what they're, like, what exactly they're parodying. Like, I, like it's not, they're not parodying a specific movie, but it really has the yeah. feel of, like, a Joel Silver. Like, they, like they, because they, the, if you look on Wikipedia, they tell you it's, like, a Lethal Weapon parody. And I'm like, no, it's not, because that, there's no scene like this in Lethal Weapon.
2: No. You know? I mean, I think his partner is certainly a variation of Murtog. Sure, um, sure. You know, especially you know, it's got the boat and yeah. and all that. So I think they there, that they're, they're, the, the partner is supposed to be a stand-in for Murtog, um, but yeah, it's not really exactly taken from a specific movie that i know of i mean there's any number of movies where the the partner is killed and right. obviously that's that's why the the parody in McBain is funny is because we've all seen that so yeah. many times um but right. yeah there, i don't think there's like a specific movie that it's uh that it's it's a spoofing right there
1: right well it's it's exactly it's going for the actual cliche you know of like right. He, he, what is it? He's like, I don't know how many days from retirement, you know? Uh, yeah. It's like very close. <laughs> right. His daughter's graduating from college and, you yes. know, like, like everything's looking up, you know, like everything's great. Like life is wonderful. And, right. uh, you know, in, in, in most cop movies with, with the exception of Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon, they, they sort of turn the cliche on its head. But, um, but in, in most, most of the time when you have that like secondary character, who like talking about his retirement and his family and like how wonderful right. it's all going to be. That's, that's the guy that's going to end up dead. Like halfway yeah. through the movie, you, you can right. count on that happening. So, and that's what they're making fun here.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: plus, I mean, plus there, it, it was to get even more specific. I mean, it was very common in a lot of movies that you had kind of the early partner who was black, who would be murdered. Uh, That was like, that was alienation. That was, you know, Clint Eastwood in the rookie. Uh, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of movies where where that happened. It's
1: uh, it's dirty Harry too. I mean, uh, well, uh, 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 what, which one was in the, in in the second um... one,
2: in the second one is is Felton Perry from Robocop who exactly killed opening the the mailbox. Right. Uh, Right. And his, uh, his, his, First partner actually lived Rene Santoni. Uh, he actually lived. He got kind of messed up, but he he did actually live. Um, yeah. But yeah. But Felton Perry was uh, was was unfortunately taken from Harry in uh, in Magnum Force. Yes. Well, I mean, I think
1: uh, Dirty Harry's partners are kind of famous for not really. Um, not having the best luck. You got Felton Perry. That's right. You got uh, what, what's Time her name? Daily. Um, Time Daly. Yeah, Time daily, daily Time daily yeah. She she doesn't uh, end well. Um, <laughs> they're playing with the cliche. They're playing with the cliche right. of the of the partner that dies. They're playing right. with the cliche of like the 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 character that is going to die because everything is so wonderful that, of course, they're going to die. Because, like, you're supposed to feel sorry for them, so they pile on as much as, look how wonderful this life... Like, you know, he, he was going to have a wonderful retirement, a wonderful life, and he dies. Of course he dies, so that you feel sorry that that's not going to happen to him. Yeah, and if You know, I, I, I'll I give it to the episode. That's a very, like, violent scene. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, which they allowed to be on primetime television. I think under the it's the most violent of the Mac of the McBain scenes. Definitely. It's it, in terms of it being extremely like bloody and, yeah, and you know, definitely an R rated scene from a movie, but sure, it's allowed on primetime TV. The Simpsons got away with a lot of this stuff just because of the way that they presented it.
2: Well, maybe, maybe Fox figured, uh, on that particular night well let's see we're going to have this episode then we're going to premiere the michael jackson music video black and white where he basically uh, (laughs) handles himself for 15 minutes so this little this little spoof of of a lethal weapon is is no big deal so maybe that's (laughs) that that was the thinking perhaps
1: (laughs) yes well yeah there is that uh yes but we'll get there we'll get there um uh so 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 you have a reference to lethal weapon which is something that's very that was at the you know it, it's it's i think we've we've agreed that it's maybe not lethal weapon specifically but it's a it's certainly spoofing the the standard slick Joel Silver action film of the t- right. of the period of the time of the late yeah. 80s early 90s you know whether it's die hard or lethal weapon or you know the, the kind of Joel Silver uh, Yeah stuff. I
2: mean obviously you of know of that, Mick Bain... Uh, McBain is sort of a variation on schwarzenegger um you know the the scene is something that might have been from a a sort of a lethal weapon movie so even though it's not you know specifically a scene that we know of it's it's just a a a pretty much a dead-on parody of of those type of movies at that point
1: yeah and so that's something that people would have gotten because it was a it was a it was parodying something that was of the moment And so you, you, you get what this is, what this is about. But later on in the episode, you have references, you have like a reference to Ben-Hur and right. And here's the part where I'm, where I want, I'm okay. So in 91, when this aired, of course I had seen Ben-Hur. I was familiar with it. I got what they were doing. It's a classic film. Uh Simpsons is famous for parodying classic films. I don't know to what extent they continue to do it. Again, I, I say this almost every episode. I have not watched yeah. The Simpsons in like 20 years. But yeah. at the time, they were parodying classic films as well, uh, established classic films. What I would wonder is how does a gag like the Ben-Hur thing play today? Is Ben-Hur still even – I mean, I, I don't – I don't know. No,
2: I I, I think not. I, I I think that's a movie that if if people had a fond appreciation for it, most of them are probably no longer with us. Um, <laughs> right. I think everybody agrees. I mean, I've seen it. It's a you know great movie of uh, from of that era and of that type. Um, I know that I would not have seen it when this episode had aired. So any of the stuff that you know would have been a parody of Ben Hur would have been over my head because i I, I don't think I saw Ben Hur until maybe I was like you know early 20s I probably finally checked it out oh okay. um, but yeah i I don't I don't think anybody watching it now uh, for the most part is not really gonna be recognizing the the, the Ben Hur stuff unless you're a real diehard movie fan and I don't mean of the diehard film series I mean a huge just historical movie fan that otherwise I think it's, it's something that's totally fallen out of consciousness. I think it's, it's kind of similar to one of the, the previous episodes that we talked about where they did the parody of an officer and a gentleman at the end. I mean, that's something that is, you know, who's really, who's, nowadays has any idea of how officer and a gentleman ended but okay so ben-hur is like a classic film fair enough sure and so
1: maybe much like 2001 or like any of these films that were like classics that they were parodying all the time or psycho or whatever and i guess ben-hur could sort of take its place next to those films um it was remade a few years ago but i don't think anybody saw that uh i I, 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 I certainly didn't (laughs) And I'm sure no one, no one else did either. But uh, so when we're talking Ben Hur, we're talking the original Ben Hur. Um, So that's one thing, and you know, it works within the context of the scene as just be like a funny gag. There's also a reference like the Natural, which uh, yes, and it's their first reference. They're going to reference the Natural heavily, uh, you know, a few episodes from now. Right. (laughs) Yes.
2: Well, it's uh, that's. I mean, that's another one that I think. Of, of that time, I mean, this would have been, what, maybe six or seven years after The Natural came out. I mean, it was right. still kind of right. in the consciousness of, of pop culture, whereas, you know, now I, you know, nobody, I, people see that scene of Homer getting up, you know, saying, do it for your old man. And that there's, I don't, I don't, nobody really has any clue that it's so, somewhat based on The Natural. Right, and like the, the music
1: swells, you know, like the, right. the, the the actual the music from the natural, you know, the the very famous score, uh, yeah. swells, and it's like it's very clear what they're doing, um, but yeah, no nobody would, would get it at this point, I think, but uh, but it's just I mean, okay, so they they do that kind of stuff also because the the episode on top, like on the one hand, yes, it's a sweet story of you know Homer connecting with his with Bart. But it's also uh, it works as like a basic yeah. parody, like a basic parody of of the standard sports melodrama, whether it's the natural or in this case, more like a racing movie, you know, like, you know, like Days of Thunder or.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, that. which clearly like that's, you know, Saturdays, the, the title is taken from Days of Thunder, but Days of Thunder is hardly the only racing movie in existence. I mean, there's any number of racing movies. And the formula is the same, whether it was then or now, you look at like more recent films like Rush or, you know, the the very good Ford versus Ferrari. I thought that was a, a pretty, was a pretty, good. pretty good movie. But, you know, yeah. whatever you're talking about, it does kind of establish, it does follow a formula that's very similar to this story. You know, it's always that same formula, you know, the, the you know, the just they all follow the same sort of beats even today. Yeah.
2: No, exactly. I mean, there's only there's only kind of so much you can do with a with a racing movie in terms of you know getting out of that formula. Um, one thing that I find funny in, in this episode is so they they initially have basically the the I think they call them the time trials, but it's it is a race between uh, Nelson, Martin, and Bart. So they do all that, and all they really do is just eliminate one racer. I mean, they just go from uh, we, okay, our, our preliminary race is three and now we're down to two for the finals. I thought right. that was a, that, that's kind of funny um, but but yeah, it's uh it's uh it, yeah there there's a, there's only so much really that you can do with a with a racing situation and uh, and this episode c- touches on on pretty much all of it right. yeah, I mean it, f- it follows the
1: formula, I just think it's funny that like that formula has not been tweaked in any way. You know, uh, so not really, you, I mean, no. You, you look at Days of Thunder; it's it's that movie. And then you know, you, you watch Rush, the the which is a biopic, but it's also a racing melodrama. Yes, which basically has a very similar formula it's a Days of Thunder, or the forgotten Sylvester Stallone film Draw, uh, no, Driven.
2: Driven. Driven. Yes, that was a yes. All, co-starring our, our previously discussed Burt Reynolds. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Burt Reynolds is like the mentor character. Uh, yeah, and, and confined so, to a wheelchair. Yes, confined to a to a, Well, actually, I think he's sort of like the the old. He's like the like he's the old master uh, character. Sylvester Stallone is the mentor character. Yeah, and forgotten. What was the guy's name? I don't even remember oh, his name.
2: he's he's somebody that I think is <laughs> gotten some some me too trouble. Kip Perdue. Oh, Kip! That's right, Kip Purdue yeah, from uh, uh, Remember the Titans.
1: That's right, and he—he's like the lead. And then there's a uh, you know uh, this uh, uh, forgotten actress, Estella Warren, and yeah. you've got—I think you've got uh, Till Schweiger, yeah,
2: who, <laughs> who later uh, showed
1: up on Inglorious Bastards, uh, right? and
2: uh, and Gina Gershon also.
1: Gina Gershon—it's a pretty decent cast. But anyway, so nice you got driven. Yeah, you got driven. You got, so any movie that's about racing tends to follow the same formula as this episode. Essentially that same story. And right down to the plot points, you know, where you have, like, so Bart and Homer, they build the Soapbox Racer. I'm very proud of it. Like, that's the thing. And then it doesn't work out. Some other guy kind of scoops Bart up. You know, like, that's essentially what ends up happening. He he right. leaves his team. You know, he, he abandons his team, which is Homer. Mm-hmm. Um, for the for the flashier thing,
2: yeah. Well, and, it's a great shot when when basically Bart leaves and Homer goes to sit in the the soapbox racer. That's a great bit of animation with it slowly falling apart around him.
1: Yeah, with him sitting on it, and he goes like, and and his line too, like, <laughs>
2: "I'll just stay here." On what, what was the name of it? little? what Was it Little Lightning? Yes, I think that might have been it. i just I just remember when when it falls apart and you, know, <laughs> you finally is just on the 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 hard ground of the garage floor it just <laughs> kind of lets out a ow.
1: yeah, it completely yeah, it completely flattens. yeah, yeah that's a that, that, that's quite a gag, yes. Um, but yeah, the the point is it follows the, the basic formula and of course it it ends and that's all good. Um, what I find really funny, is uh, a soapbox derby champion Ronnie Beck?
2: Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, right. Three times, you know, three yeah, times three, three, soapbox, three, three time soapbox derby champion Ronnie Beck, and and he's painted as one of Bart's uh, idols, heroes. essentially right. yeah, heroes, heroes, yeah. and and you know he's built up as this, and then you see him, and and it's this <laughs> pipsqueak little kid who's like smaller than Bart, right, and, right, and and Bart calls him Mister Beck. And yeah. for some reason, that one thing is, for me, like, it just, that was, I found that to be the funniest thing in the episode for me. Like, it, it, ma- it made me explode into laughter just because it was so ridiculous.
2: That, that is funny, but I, I also get a kick out of how what what is basically, you know, a, a neighborhood soapbox race between two local neighborhood kids <laughs> is somehow broadcast. Uh, not only it appears in Springfield, but all over the country because they're watching it at the National Fatherhood Institute as well. Yes, so I, yes. I, 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 I think it's amazing that such, a, such an event. Nowadays, I can understand maybe because you've got so many different channels that people need programming. So I can almost buy it being on TV today. But 30 years ago, I, I think it's kind of tough to envision that a local soapbox derby race would have been broadcast throughout the nation.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely, it's definitely pretty absurd. Um, so yeah, so I think, look, uh, we we said at the top that this is a, a funny episode. It is, it is. Um, but I think that ultimately it is overshadowed by its cultural significance, like a cultural sig- significance that is external to it. And we've yeah. been kind of beating around the bush here, but but we we've got to get right to it, Right. because. There well, there's a couple of things in in this episode um, that are noteworthy. There's one thing that I do want to say first before we get to the big Kahuna uh, in the episode itself. You know, when Homer goes to the Fatherhood Institute, he is gifted a copy of Fatherhood by mm-hmm. Bill Cosby, uh, yes. the, the the Bill Cosby bestseller. People got to realize this was a bestseller. This book was, oh, was a bestseller. It was huge. It was, it was huge a huge book. People were talking about it. It was, you know, it was a huge book. It was New York Times bestseller for I don't know how many weeks. And the what we see in the in the episode is an accurate, it's a it's an accurate representation of the book. It yes. looks like that. That's exactly what it looks like. That's exactly what the cover looks like. That's exactly what it is. And so it's a little bit obviously because of what we now know, uh, it, it's it's just kind of eerie, you know, to yes. to have that pop up in the episode.
2: So here's here's what I find is that this the whole inclusion of all the Bill Cosby stuff, it it works on a few different levels, because if you just kind of take when the show aired and it's it's just kind of funny that. Homer is using, you know Bill Cosby's book as a guide to how to be a, a better parent. So if you're watching it just in 1991, it's like, okay, that's kind of funny that he's he's using this book and that's yeah, that's his guide. and but it's also if in at least in the context of 1991, it was also funny because this was the first season where the Simpsons were go- going directly up against the Cosby show. So I think, the, the you know the line at the end of you know oh thank you Mr Cosby you have saved the Simpsons is kind of a, a a direct nod against the fact that that's that was the show's direct competition at this point, and then yeah now watching it, thirty years later it's got a whole new meaning because we now know that he's a horrible rapist. So it's, it just kind of, it has a whole lot of different layers to that, that the inclusion of that book.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was just something that just kind of popped out at me, and I do know that a few a few episodes later, I think it's in the evening, like in a in a future season, and it's like maybe it's like next season or two seasons later. But he yeah. actually takes that book, he takes that book and throws it in the fire. Oh, right. Um,
2: right, right. It, so, it's it's the one where they have to spend the money for the operation for Santa's little helper. Um, I know it's that episode. Well, it's this up. It's this season then. Yeah, that's that's later okay. on this season. That's I'm pretty like sure. towards towards the the later part. But yeah, it's like it it's it yeah it's it's trippy seeing it now. I mean, it's like wow. I mean, what a. What a fall from grace to go from. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's always been trippy. I mean, even when when all that stuff was was originally going down. But yeah, watching this episode now and kind of seeing all these gags, it's uh, it's just, it's very surreal. So there's that.
1: Obviously that that like that today perhaps has not aged. I mean it it is a time capsule element which you have to accept very much of its time so it's it's all very well and good. I mean I mean
2: to to be fair at the time he was thought of as America's dad basically. Sure. I mean there was that so for them to to have that book be sort of the Bible of the National Fatherhood Institute, you know, it would, would make some sense. If he's as smart as he is funny uh, and you know clearly he was.
1: He is. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't even speak of him of the past tense. He's still alive. No, he, he is. he, yes. he isn't. He is in prison, but he is alive. Uh, yes. And and he but he he is smart, and he. Uh, there are many things that are on the level of him being funny. He is also just as horrible as he happened to have been funny yeah but uh, but it, like all these things that are just uh, they they kind of leap out at you well you but... know
2: something something that that's also interesting is about his book is you know that book was like a big smash book when that thing came out and it kind of kicked off this whole trend where all the sitcom stars suddenly had books out. It was like a big thing in the 90s. Of you know all the different you know comedic sitcom stars suddenly had to have their own book, and yeah. one of them was uh, was Paul Reiser had a book. I don't I don't know. Do, do you want to uh, venture a guess as to what the title of Paul Reiser's book was?
1: I don't. Go ahead and tell me. I don't. I don't remember. It, it was, couplehood. Oh oh Christ. Okay, so that
2: was <laughs> it was it was it was a, it was a direct reference. Yes. Uh, okay because you know obviously look bill cosby's show he's a father and you know so his his book is going to reflect that and so you know paul riser's show is all about being in a relationship and so somehow since he's since he's on a comedic sitcom about being in a relationship that would make him some kind of an authority to write a book about such things and so his book was couplehood Right, okay, no, it, it makes total sense. But I think one thing that we have
1: to highlight, I mean, I, I've not, I didn't, I have not read Fatherhood. And, and based on, you know, uh, based on the way it's used in the in the show and everything, I'm pretty sure that it's like a legit book. You know, like, it's not just uh, uh, Bill Cosby's routine, you know, between two covers. It's not just like, or, you know, which is something that a lot of uh, stand-up comedians did you know, whether it right. was like, you know, George Carlin or or Jerry Seinfeld, that basically what they would publish would essentially be uh, their routine in book
2: form. Yeah. Is what yeah. It would there, be. Was, there was, there was a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that his, his book was much more than that. I mean, he really did kind of fancy himself as sort of this sage giver of wisdom when it came to parenting and, I mean, that was kind of that was sort of what he did you know, before yeah. he ended up in court. That was kind of what he did was he was all about trying to, you know, tell the, the youth of the nation, you know, pull your pants up and, you know, this yeah. is how you need to act. I mean, he was really hammering yeah. home all that kind of stuff before yeah. before he found himself, uh, you know, on being accused of about 80 different rapes.
1: Right, yeah, you know, pull your pants up, uh, straighten your 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 ball cap, don't wear a hoodie, et cetera. So yeah, like th- this is what uh, what he did. Um, so okay, so it makes sense for the time, and so that that is something that you look at now. You go, ooh, okay. But one thing that this episode is also uh, very important for, uh, which was uh, not only can it maybe be considered uh, a scandalous issue now, it was then a controversial issue is that this, uh, this was the lead-in to, Michael, to the premiere of Michael Jackson's Black or White video, which was the big launch signal for uh, his album, Dangerous. Um, right. And, and, you know, that was the big thing. That, like, th- this episode was highly rated. It was probably the—it it, might have been the, the highest-rated episode of the season. I'm not sure—somebody you know, would have to look that up and correct me if I'm wrong. But if it wasn't the highest-rated, it was certainly up there. Um, right. because it was a hugely, uh, because this was the lead in, you know, like it was, they were, pu- they were promoting it all week. It was like after the Simpsons, we're going to premiere the Michael Jackson video. And so we were sitting through the episode. At least this was the case with me. I was, you know, I, I, I appreciated Michael Jackson, but I, I still do a great, great musician. Um, but my, my point is at the time I was very excited more than the Simpsons. I was excited to see the new Michael Jackson video. And I remember that vividly. I remember you know sitting through the episode, just waiting to watch that video, which is the original video, which is the song followed by kind of a coda. So it's kind of a long. It's kind of like a short film. It's about, I yes, know, it's like well, about twelve minutes long or something like that. I mean, it's it's up there it's between ten and twelve minutes. And so I remember that vividly. You know, I remember we sat there. You know, like the the Simpsons ends, then here comes the video, and it's got. It, they even promote like. They we knew all the things that were gonna be in it, like Macaulay Culkin's in it, and George Went from Cheers, mm-hmm. and like that's right, you know, like they were talking about all the like the the guest stars that were gonna be in the video. So it was like a big TV event, and I remember you know we sat there, basically mouths agape, as MJ beat the tar out of a car, yeah, and then got on top of it, got on top of the car. And started pleasuring himself essentially. Yeah, and, uh, and that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, so let's talk about the black or white video for a minute.
2: I, I do remember it being very much hyped. You know, this because you know I feel like this was kind of the first thing that we had seen from Michael Jackson in like a few years, maybe since the the, the you know the bad album. If there was something else in between, I, I it ain't jumping out at me. Um, but I feel like that this was kind of the first thing that we had seen from him in a very yeah. long time well the and... movie moonwalker
1: the movie moonwalker had come out and you know done, okay. done some business or whatever else but yeah this was the major thing it was like here's the new album you know this is the big deal
2: right and yeah. so yeah I, I definitely remember that being very much hyped and and, you know, then the video came on. And like you said, I, mean, I think everybody was kind of like, you know, what the hell is this? Like, there were a few things like the, the sequence where all the the people, their faces morph into one another. I mean, yeah. that was also the big thing. And I remember I recognized one of the guys who ends up, you know, you see that, you know, it ends up in that part of the video. I recognized him as like one of the one of the guys who was both one of the gang gang members in marked for death and one of the gang gang members in predator Two. I just, that's all. And I always remember seeing him. I was like, Oh hey, yeah, I've, I've seen that guy. He was in both of those movies. Uh, yes. But, I know what you're talking about. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. He was yes. in like, yeah, he was like kind of the, the Jamaican sort of side yes. after de jour of the early nineties. I mean, I, I think that guy popped up in all kinds of stuff um i i I apologize i don't know him by name but that's kind of the other thing i remember about the black black or white video um but yeah and then it it sure caused a whole lot of ruckus after that thing aired that's that's for sure i remember man people really went went bonkers because of that yeah well it's
1: just like I'm, i'm trying to figure out what the mentality there was because like i i still don't really understand entirely what the what that is like i don't it's got nothing to do with the song. It's got nothing to do with the rest of the video. You know, like, yeah. the, the the video plays perfectly fine by itself. And it's uh, directed by John Landis. It's, it's mm-hmm. a well-made video. Uh, yes. It's got, you know, a lot of production value, obviously, the multi-million dollar production. And you if you watch the video, it's, it's on YouTube. You can look at it. And I'll, I'll probably provide a link in the in the episode description. But you look at the video, and it has, like... It's really well done, like the, all the transitions and the way it's put together, and even you know the the finale is is well done. But you, you, the the only thing about it is that it's kind of inexplicable because the video ends, and then you know it, it's it's one of those like meta things where like the video you know they 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 pull back and like you see the set and like the people walking away from the set. Okay, that's a wrap, whatever. And then you know you sort of pan over to. To MJ sort of standing by a wall, looking cool, you know, dressed in his black suit and his hat and he walks out into an alleyway. Yes,
2: he's first the Panther. Right. He's
1: first the yeah. Panther, morphs into Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. and then and then like does what he does, you know, where he beats the shit out of a car and then just masturbates essentially and then for for yeah. for however long that takes, and then and then morphs back into a panther and walks away. And that's yeah. the video.
2: Yeah, well, little known trivia is, um, you know, before they went with a car, John John Landis desperately wanted Michael Jackson to beat up a helicopter. They uh, argued for hours about that. He said, look, MJ, this is what we need to destroy. This is the worst vehicle known to man, not this car. Yeah, but um, what?
1: Does that mean that that finale for the black or white video? Well,
2: I thought now I thought I remember hearing Jack now this is for real. I thought I remember hearing Jackson say that the whole beating up the car was supposed to be him beating up racism. Like that's what that that was hmm. the message that he was trying to get across. I I, I i feel like i remember him when, when all the controversies kind of started that that's what he was. and that doesn't really explain any of the pleasuring himself part but at least in terms of the whole destroying the car i think that's I, i'm almost positive that I, I, he he said that that's what he was trying to get across with with that which you know i i if that, that's what that's with his justification and then, then by all means i guess i, I don't know yeah, well, I mean, and he was really good friends with Macaulay
1: Culkin back at this back at this time. Uh, yeah. That was uh, highly publicized. They were going to make a movie together. I do remember that very well. Oh. well did, and it did, was going gonna... to did did Ted Danson steal that role? Was that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no. Well, that now no, was it, it wasn't getting even with Dad. No, it was uh, oh, the... <laughs> no, but it was going to be like a like a gangster movie, like you know, like it was going to oh. be a movie. I mean, I don't know the exact title. It was a. Uh, it wasn't "Boys in the Hood," but it, it was a it was a title like that. Like okay. that's the thing, and I'm pretty sure. I know that Michael Jackson was planning at the time to do like some kind of a. It was gonna be something to do with like gangsters, or you know, it, it was gonna be because it, it wasn't again. It wasn't "Boys in the Hood," but it was it was a title like that. It implied something like that. "Boys in the Hood" had already come out. And it, it has something to do with the hood, and I always thought Michael Jackson and Macaulay Cul like what? How's that gonna work? Like, what's that gonna be?
2: You know, hey, if uh, <laughs> if if we if we had Macaulay Culkin team up with Elijah Wood, I guess we could also live with uh, Macaulay Culkin teaming up with MJ. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: was this gonna be uh, uh, his cha- Macaulay Culkin's chance at like the age of of eleven to be like a badass? Uh, the, uh, because. That that's what we eventually saw in in the Good Son, where he plays like a a vicious psychopath. Oh
2: yeah, he Ooh. was
1: he was out of his gourd in that one. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's it's incredible. That movie yeah, is incredible. Yeah. That, that, oh, like, yeah. that 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 movie is unbelievable. I I love that movie.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know why the... that one <laughs> didn't catch on more. I mean, that was like that was good.
1: It's a good movie. It's 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 like a. Uh, by the way, we're talking about the movie The Good Son,
2: yeah. in
1: which uh, in which Macaulay Culkin is is a terrible terrible kid and Uh,
2: and convincingly so
1: yeah convincingly so just a a truly evil evil little bastard who kills people and it's 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 quite a shocking film to see you know
2: yeah well i always thought what was kind of amazing about that movie is that you would think okay because in a way like child stars they're almost kind of like wrestlers Whereas, like you know, you first, you know, usually you kind of first like them because they're the, they're good and they're sweet and they're wholesome, and and then you know eventually you have to have them turn, and they have yeah. to you know turn to the dark side. But like with with Macaulay Culkin, that was like in the middle of his kind of heyday. It's like you know he had done Home Alone and Home Alone Two, and and you know My Girl, and then they do the, the Good Son, and he has the turn to evil. And then he goes back to trying to be the, the cute little kid and does getting even with dad and Richie Rich. And I always thought that was kind of interesting is that uh, they didn't, they, it wasn't at the end of his run. It was like right smack dab in the middle of it.
1: Right. Yes. I mean, at the very least, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim uh, waited until 94 or 95 before they co starred in an erotic thriller. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that showed their dark sides, but yeah, you're right. In this case, you know, Macaulay Culkin did, did his weird dark turn early in his career. Like when he was, when he was just starting out, like fresh off his hits,
2: it's kind of like, it's poor, like management because you're, you, you know, you want to try and grease every nickel you can out of him as the cute kid. And I feel like they didn't really do that. I feel like they went to the evil, let's turn them evil, have them go heal, and I think they did that way too soon. That was that was bad management. But it is a very good movie. I enjoy it.
1: Yeah, well, it's well made. I mean, uh, jo- Joseph Rubin, director of it, is a good director. He did Stepfather and Dreamscape and a bunch of really good thrillers. It's, it's, it's like a well-made potboiler, which... Yeah. Uh, at the time, was criticized, I think, because of that, because it went against the mainstream uh, assumptions of what Macaulay Culkin's supposed to be. Siskel okay. and Ebert notoriously hated it. Siskel and Ebert hated it because, of course, they did. Okay, like they yeah. they well, definitely did, yeah. Uh Siskel would hate anything where like children are put in jeopardy. Yeah. Um, wow.
2: Well. But
1: I'm trying to. Maybe I'm getting. Maybe I'm confusing it with another movie. But. Uh, m- I think that's maybe that's Orphan, but is is CCH Pounder in The Good Son?
2: No, that's Orphan.
1: Yeah, that's Orphan. You're right.
2: That's yes. Orphan. Uh, yes, yes Which that's Orphan. Also, that's a orphan. fine film.
1: Terrific film. Terrific. Film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, The Good Son is kind of like Orphan, uh, not not quite as out there as Orphan. It's a lot no, more grounded. No. It, it it keeps things more grounded, where yeah. you know it it doesn't have that. Which I'm not going to spoil for anyone who hasn't seen or- Orphan, but uh, you know, Orphan has a, a fantastic uh, twist. Uh, oh, right. the, good, the good son does not go there. Good son is not you know. Good son is just a pretty standard story about an evil child who's yeah, just I a mean, bad me, person, just a bad kid. That's it.
2: Right. It sort of fits in with that whole era of the you know the 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 cop from hell and Lawful Entry, the secretary from hell, the temp. And, you know, the good son is basically the little kid from hell. I mean, more or less.
1: Yes. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, problem child, but, you know, with death. Uh, essentially right. is, is, is the good son. But, uh, but yeah, so, man, we, we've really gone off on, on quite a few tangents, haven't we? So, to bring it back, to sort of close this discussion, uh, I guess this episode is, is, you know, it's a fun episode. It is. Uh, but has historical significance because of when it aired and everything. Um, well... What's our final word on the episode?
2: Oh, I think this one's a definite winner. I mean, there's so many so many great gags. I mean, the overall story is really nice and it's a good good example of kind of developing Homer's character and doing more with him than just kind of being an oaf and kind of showing he's got a heart and he has this genuine interest in, you know, trying to be a better father. So it, it works on that level. And, you know and then i think it's just full of all kinds of great gags so i i think the whole episode is is top to
0: bottom really well done now henry winkler there's a father i don't always keep my cool like the Fonz, but my love for my kids has given me plenty of happy days
2: did you ever know that-
0: So
1: that's it for this week's installment of The Simpsons Countdown. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this, consider showing your support. It's really very simple. Give us a like or a favorable rating. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, Anchor FM, and other podcasting platforms. So adding a brief review, if possible, might actually help boost the podcast's profile. And if it isn't too much trouble, please do share this with all your friends on social media. Speaking of social media, you can follow the Erics Antoine Network on Facebook or subscribe to it on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at EricsAntoineNet, and feel free to find me and follow me on Letterboxd, where I frequently post film reviews you may or may not agree with. That's up to you. I'm Erics Antoine, and I'll be back in a few days to discuss Flaming Moes, the classic story of the drink that Homer invented that Mo stole, and that was hot enough to bring Aerosmith to Springfield. A fellow podcaster from I Must Break This Podcast, Sean Malloy, will be sitting down to talk with me about that, and I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, stay safe out there, get vaccinated if you can, and I'll see you soon.
0: I don't always keep my cool like the fawns, but my love for my kids has given. Shh.
1: Men.